One of the special events in life is when a baby is born. There is nothing quite like seeing or holding a newborn child for that first time. And oftentimes it's a time of great celebration, but when I think about celebrating a newborn baby, there is no celebration that is quite the extravaganza as when the newborn baby is a future king. Many of you probably remember about a year and a half ago over in England when Prince William and his wife, Kate Middleton, gave birth to their first little boy. We know him now as Prince George. And, and there was quite the extravaganza around this. It was amazing how the media was analyzing absolutely everything about what the mother and father and this little baby were doing. For instance, here's a headline that came from just a couple of weeks ago. They're now pregnant with their second child. But this headline just captures the scrutiny and the analysis that takes place when there is a royal birth. The headline says, exclusive. Kate Middleton had a pizza party in her New York City hotel room. Get all the details on your pregnancy craving. Okay, let me make some clarifications here. First of all, it was not really a pizza party. All she did was order a couple of pizzas for herself and three friends. But that did not stop the media from analyzing every single little detail about this. They analyzed the toppings that were on the pizzas. They analyzed the restaurant from which the peaches were purchased. They analyzed the fact that, oh yeah, back in her first pregnancy, she also ordered a pizza that one time. Oh, and guess what? At some point, someone saw the royal couple in a, in a store buying frozen pizza. Can you believe it? They, they overanalyzed everything. And the reason is, it's a future king who has been born. There were literally hundreds of media personnel stationed outside the hospital for, for weeks in advance just to make sure they were there for that specific time when Kate went into labor. And you should have seen the security force that was in place after Prince George was born. There was this phrase that media kept using over and over. The phrase was an unprecedented, um, let me look it up, an unprecedented um, ring of steel around the baby in their house after he was born. An unprecedented ring of steel made up of dozens of heavily armed police officers there were security guards stationed in the bushes and up in the trees. They put up barricades. They, they closed off roads. Um, they, they, they cleared away underbrush in order to make sure there weren't any intruders. They even had military helicopters flying over the top of the residence They're using heat-seeking technology to make sure no one was getting in there who shouldn't get in there. An unprecedented ring of steel protecting this newborn baby. And it's all because this little baby is a future king. Now, when I really think about it, I think, about, I think that the birth of Prince George had to be perhaps the most celebrated birth in human history, at least at the time of the birth itself. I mean, it's simply amazing to think about all that took place. And now he's just a year and a half old. He's the third in line uh, for the throne of, of the United Kingdom. But there's so much celebration around his birth. But I want to guarantee you one thing. Even though Prince George has yet to rule for a single day, I guarantee that he is not the most significant king ever to live in world history. We don't know what he's going to live through. We don't know what types of decisions he's going to make when he does rule. 
but I guarantee you that he is not the most significant king in world history. That distinction belongs to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And tonight we are here to celebrate his birth 2,000 years ago. If you would like to follow along in your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapters 1 and 2 contain the birth account of King Jesus. And there was a lot of buildup to when Jesus came into this world. God has been preparing for many, many, many generations. For instance, about 730 years before Jesus was born, we see through the prophet Isaiah that God was speaking, telling about the king's birth. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So God is already speaking through a prophet about how a king is going to come. And the king is going to enter the world in the normal way that people enter the world, as a baby. God dropped more hints that just a few years later through the prophet Micah, God said, But you, Bethlehem, speaking of the city of Bethlehem, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So God is again communicating about a supreme ruler who will one day come into this world. God dropped many other hints down through the years, all culminating in an event that took place about 2,000 years ago when God sent the angel Gabriel to a teenage girl named Mary. Now, Mary was understandably frightened. She was freaked out at the, at the presence of this angel. But the angel in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, there is a lot in here, but it's very clear, even if we don't understand the terminology here about reigning on David's throne and over Jacob's descendants, even if we don't understand what that, what that is referencing it is very clear that a very important king is about to be born through Mary. There, he's going to be establishing a kingdom, we have seen through these other passages, a kingdom full of peace, full of righteousness, full of justice, full of vitality and life. And there is so much buildup in the anticipation of this coming king, and then he's born. But when we look at the account of his birth in Luke 2, to me, it, it seems a little bit anticlimactic after all the buildup. Let me read for you Luke 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, while they were there, they, they, Mary and Joseph had traveled to Bethlehem. And it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. And placed them in a manger because there is no room for them in the inn or there is no guest room for them. 
Now, to me, when I read this account, after all the buildup and after the significance of who this baby is, it seems anticlimactic. It's, it's, it's such a remarkably basic description of what took place. It says she gave birth to a son. She wrapped him up in cloths, placed him in a manger because there wasn't any room anywhere else. It's such a remarkably basic description when you consider the magnitude of what was taking place here. You compare it with the extravaganza of Prince George's birth. I mean, there's almost no comparison. Even though they are both royalty, they are both kings, this one is actually a bigger king than Prince George ever will be. But you look at this, there's no media here. I mean, there are no known onlookers taking a look at what's going on. There's no real analysis taking place here. I mean, there is no um, um, ring of steel guarding this king who is born. I mean, it's really remarkable at how basic and how humble this all is. But I think there is something very attractive when you look at the humility of what is taking place here. Because we can relate to it. About six months ago, when Prince George turned one year old in July, there was a reporter in London who wrote a column about why is the world so in love with this little baby, Prince George. I want to read you the first uh, couple paragraphs of this column because I think it sheds some light on the humility of baby Jesus. The author wrote, Being born born into the royal family guarantees many things. Privilege, security, and spectacular wealth, to name just three. But in their first year, royal babies are more equal to their peers than they will ever be again, which perhaps explains the world's love affair with Prince George. Palaces, limousines, and bodyguards mean nothing to an infant. He craves only attention, stimulation, and regular feeds, just like every other baby that has ever lived. His parents have to make the same day-to-day decisions as all mothers and fathers, from what kind of food he eats to the brand of nappies, car seats, and prams he uses. We may not have much in common with the queen, but every parent can relate to Prince George. Now, I think I'm going to have to to ask some of my British friends what a nappy and a pram is. But I think the point holds very true here, the point that we can relate to a little baby. And I think this is one of the reasons why people get so sentimental when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, because we can relate to the baby Jesus. I mean, we can relate to the fact that he was helpless, that he was fragile. It was a very humble entrance into the world. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus' humility and his approachability continued throughout his life. But when we think about his humility and his approachability, I think there's a danger as well. And the danger is that we can lose sight of the glory of who he is. We need to remember that Jesus is a king. And kings are meant to rule. Now, when we think about, uh, for instance, the monarchy in, uh, in the United Kingdom... Sometimes, sometimes people mock the monarchy there because they say, okay, we look at the king or the queen there, and yes, they get a lot of acclaim. Yes, people really look up to them. Yes, they have a big name. But really, they're just ceremonial. I mean, they're just a figurehead. They don't really have any actual power. You know what? That, that's not entirely true. 
But, but I think it's a, it's a relevant point to recognize this is the perception that people have oftentimes of royalty. Okay, they're ceremonial, but they don't have much real power to actually rule and make changes. And many people bring that same mentality to King Jesus. They look at Jesus and say, okay, we celebrate him and we sing songs on Christmas. We can learn a lot of trivia about him. I mean, we kind of treat Jesus sometimes as a mascot, sort of, where we get all rah, rah, rah about Jesus. But the question is, does he really have any power to rule? One of the Christmas songs that we'll be singing in a few minutes is, What Child Is This? And there is a line in that song near the end that says, Let loving hearts enthrone him. Let loving hearts Enthrone him. And this is really the intent of King Jesus that he would rule in our lives. That we all have a throne of our hearts. It's kind of like the driver's seat of our life. And King Jesus came to rule there in the driver's seat of our life. Now, as Americans, many of us probably bristle at this idea of a king. Because we Americans, we like our independence, don't we? We like our independence nationally. We like our independence personally. And so we kind of push back a little, a little bit against the idea of anyone being on the throne of our lives except for me, myself, and I. But we have to understand that the presence of King Jesus is actually a sign of great joy. It's a cause of great joy. Well, let me read on in the passage about Jesus' birth. The birth announcement coming from angels to shepherds out in the field the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So it's good news of great joy. And there are a couple of key titles here for, for this baby Jesus I want to point out. First of all, he is Savior. And secondly, he is Lord. Now, Lord speaks to the fact that he rules, that he is a king. And Savior speaks to the fact that we, need, we are people who are in need of being saved from something, and specifically that something is known as sin. That in order to experience the life that God has designed for us, we need someone to pull us out of our self-centeredness and to get ourselves off the throne of our lives. And, and the sin, it separates us from God. And it causes a whole lot of really just ugly stuff in our lives that we don't like. I mean, think about any sort of, of pain or sadness, or fear, or frustration that any of us ever experience is all a result, either directly or indirectly, of sin in the world and sin in our lives. And so we need someone to come to redeem us out of the sin because there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to get us out of the pit of sin that we are in. That's why God sent Christ into this world to be our Savior. He didn't remain a baby. He grew up. He lived a sinless, perfect life which qualified him to be a substitute for us. We all have a spiritual death penalty to pay because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Christ has paid that penalty for us through his death on the cross. And he won the victory over sin and death through his resurrection three days later. Now, you may think, okay, we're mixing holidays here. This is Christmas. It's not Easter. But to understand the significance of Christmas, we have to understand Easter as well. So Jesus came to be a Savior, and he offers us new life as a gift, both here in this earth and for eternity. It's a gift. You know, Christmas time, we, we celebrate giving and receiving gifts. I know many of you, especially if you're on the younger end of things, you're probably really excited about this time because of gifts that you're going to get. I think about how when I was a little child, I was one of those kids who would get up really, really early on Christmas morning because I was so excited for the gifts. 
Now, if you are a parent of a young child, you're probably looking forward to tomorrow with this mix of, of excitement, but a little bit of trepidation because you're a little concerned about what time your kids are going to get up in the morning. Well, let me offer some comparisons so that um, you will actually be thankful for your kids after you hear about what I was like. (laughs) When I was a child and even into my teenage years, waking up at 3 to 4 a.m. was pretty common for me on Christmas morning. Now, my parents wouldn't let me wake them up for several more hours, but 3 or 4 a.m. was common. One year, I woke up at 1.30 a.m., I did not go back to sleep. I was up for the day. I was so excited, primarily about the gifts and the general celebration as well. 1.30 a.m., I had a flashlight. I, my, my room was upstairs. I could see down to the living room where the gifts magically had appeared overnight. I, I used the flashlight to look down there to see the gifts. And I was just so excited about them. And you know what? Gifts are really, really cool. Many of us will give and receive many gifts this Christmas season. But Jesus offers us a gift that causes every other gift we could ever get, even the best gift in the world, to pale in comparison. Because Jesus' gift is a gift of true life, abundant life, and eternal life. It's a gift of being, um, having life in his kingdom, which is characterized by, by joy, by peace, by righteousness, by justice. The life that Jesus offers is a life of significance, a life of, of a, a firm, solid identity, of security, of hope. This is what Jesus offers us as a gift. But remember, Jesus' title is not just Savior. He doesn't just offer us the gift of salvation and new life, but he's also Lord. Really, the essence of sin is that we are sitting on the throne of our lives. But when Jesus comes into our life, he wants to sit back on the throne because that's how God designed us to live. The reason why we have so many problems in our lives and in the world is that, that people are on the throne of their own lives. Things get back in the right order as God designed it when God is on the throne, when King Jesus is on the throne. So Jesus wants to be on the throne of our lives. Now, just as you have to open a gift in order to make use of it, so also we have to receive the gift that Jesus offers to us of salvation and new life. I mean, tomorrow morning or whenever your family opens gifts, Odds are good, you won't be done, and then be like, oh, there are some other gifts. They have my name on them. I'm just going to leave them under there. I don't need those. No, you're going to open them up, aren't you? But in order to make use of a gift, you have to open it up. If you leave it all wrapped up under the tree, it doesn't do anyone any good. It's the same way with the gift of new life and salvation that God offers us. It must be received through faith. Say, you know what? I can't bridge the gap between me and God on my own. But Jesus, you did it for me. I want to receive that gift by faith. Now, we as a church have a gift we want to offer you. Only Jesus can offer the gift of salvation, but we want to offer you, it almost seems like such a little tiny insignificant token compared to what Jesus offers us, but it's still a significant gift. It's a book. It's called Since Nobody's Perfect, How Good is Good Enough. It's just a, it's a brief book, easy to read, fun. It's a favorite book of many people here at Freedoms, but it explains the gift that God offers us of new life through Christ. And we would love to be able to get you a copy of it. And there's a connection card in your uh, bulletin. You can just put your contact info on there, check the box for this book, and we'll get it in the mail for you soon. You can drop the connection card in the offering plate in just a moment, or you can leave it at the Welcome Center in the box out there. Now, there's one other application point I want to make, and it's this idea of Jesus as king. And we may wonder, okay, what does it look like to live with Jesus as king of our lives? Well, we have a sermon series that is resuming on January 4th that is called Life in the Kingdom. 
Because when we think about living with Jesus as king and living um, in his kingdom, it's like, what does that really mean? It seems so abstract. But this sermon series is all about what does it look like to really live in light of God's kingdom here and now. It's going through the Sermon on the Mountains. We've already gone through part of it, but we're resuming it starting on January 4th, two Sundays from now. And we encourage you, if you don't have a church home in this area, to come back and to, to, to be a part of this, learning what does it look like to live with Jesus as king and experience the life that he has to offer. Our normal service times are 8 o'clock and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. Although this particular Sunday coming up, uh, December 28th, we only have one service at 9, but then we return to our normal schedule on January 4th. But as we look at Jesus, I want to just remind us once more that he didn't come just to be celebrated. He didn't come just for us to sing him songs on Christmas Eve. He didn't come just to give us some advice on how we should live that we can take or leave it. He didn't come just to be some mascot. He came to bring true life. He came to transform our lives. He came to be the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this world, for we were so lost on our own, Lord. We were hopeless. We were helpless. There is nothing that we can do on our own to bridge the gap between us and God, Lord. And, and we all have experienced the pain and the trials and the frustrations of life in this broken world. And Lord, we are thankful that you offer us the opportunity for new life, life in your eternal kingdom. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will allow you, the right king, back on the throne of our lives. And Lord, I pray now as we bring back to you a portion of the resources that you've entrusted to us, I pray that we will offer them as an act of faith and as an act of worship and that you will use these finances to continue to spread the good news of great joy of your kingdom around this community and around the world. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Christmas.
Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Please stand and sing with us. Shit. 